0: Three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, well, this is yet another first for the No Outlet Podcast. Tonight on our show, we have the very first legitimate opera singer. Yes, it's true. (laughs) We met uh, while we were taking an online improv class with the Upright Citizens Brigade. Had a great time and then she... Uh, was nice enough to organize a few practice sessions, which we participated in. And, you know, she has a great sense of humor, very quick on her feet, uh, which is a perfect combination for improv. And then I found out that she was an opera singer. And I was like, wow, that's totally interesting. And I thought, geez, I wonder, I bet she'd be a really good guest on the No Outlet podcast. And so tonight... We're going to find out. Uh, So please help me welcome to the show, Sarah Nicole Ruddy. So Sarah Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to play a game called 20 questions and it always starts the exact same way. And that's with question number one, question number one, do you believe the music has the ability to heal?
1: Oh, yeah, that's proven. We have science that backs that up. Um, Yeah, so we have people who make careers out of this, right? Like how they can use music therapy to help people. And I I had the pleasure of reading an audio book a while back that was about research on how music can help Alzheimer's patients regain their memory because a lot of people have – yeah, I'm talking over you, but um, sorry. We have a lot of people who – or we found that memory can be tied to music and so sometimes we'll use singing old songs or music will trigger memories in people Mm -hmm. and they'll start speaking again they'll sing with you they'll regain movement and things like that so yes they absolutely do and i think it's a really neat thing to study more about
0: i love it i agree that's that's so cool i did not know there was scientific uh you know research to back that up but i was had a hunch, so I'm glad that the hunch <laughs> is backed up with something. That's cool. So obviously yeah. I mentioned at the beginning that you're an opera singer, and mm-hmm. um, I'm curious, the first broad-based question for for me is, how did you get involved, and how did you get interested in actually becoming an opera singer?
1: Sure. Uh, great question. So I actually started doing musical theater when I was four years old. That was wow. my first professional musical theater show and i never stopped until we hit a pandemic that was the first time oh i was goodness. not in a show for my entire life basically um or didn't have something coming right up uh, i did musical theater until high school when i started kind of dabbling more in classical music i mm-hmm. started taking piano more seriously and just was going to a school that was much more science-based and not a lot of arts at that time now mm-hmm. that the The high school I went to now has a beautiful arts program. One of my colleagues and friends teaches classical music there. So I started learning more about classical music and um, started taking some voice lessons that were more classically focused versus Mm -hmm. musical theater focused. I also started going with my grandparents to see San Diego opera when I was about seven, which is very young to start. But both both my kids have started that young as well. So, I think if you pick the right shows, it's totally cool to take kids that age, depending, you know, on what shows yeah. you're going to see. And um, so I started when I was seven, going, thought it was super cool. Then, we, really random story, I had an ex-boyfriend who wanted to audition for a conservatory, and he was an instrumentalist. And I was like, well, if you're going, I'm going. So I auditioned as well, and I got in. <laughs> He did not i went I saw that coming. We, and we broke up maybe 3 months later <laughs> just like kind of random circumstances but a love for the art form that pushed me to it
0: wow that is so so cool all right so i'm going to say right up front there's going to be a few questions that i would say are opera ignorant questions and here comes the first one so I'm what's excited. the difference between so obviously for the for the layman out there a lame woman you know, opera and musical theater or a musical, because I've been to music, I've been to, you know, the music man and on and on, right? I can name a different musical for every day of the week, but for, but operas are a little bit more specific. So is there a technical, like definition that, that really delineates an opera from just a musical?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, there is some overlap. I hope no opera singers listen, well, I hope lots of opera singers, I hope everyone listens to your podcast, but I hope nobody, you know, comes at me on Twitter or something (laughs) after this. But usually we're saying the opera is sung completely, right? Mm -hmm. So all the dialogue is sung. So you'll have recitative, which is sung dialogue, basically. It's a little more, it it mimics spoken language, but it's sung on a pitch. Musical theater, we're typically doing songs and dialogue. We have a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm. that kind of rock opera or Andrew Lloyd Webber, that is opera. Okay. It's definitely operatic musical theater in some ways. And we have a lot of trained opera singers who are going to be used in some of those productions. Like, for example, Phantom of the Opera requires people who have some classical musical training or you know or uh, musical theater people who are excellent musicians etc sure. which their are majority are right um, to sing some of that music because it was written specifically for an opera chorus there's like an opera chorus section gotcha but does that make Phantom the Opera an opera just because it has opera in the title no <laughs> right <laughs> a lot of people and if you if I'm anticipating a question will go oh I love opera I love Phantom of the Opera and I just lose my mind right right so Yeah, that just breaks me inside. So we have to also remember that opera's been been around for a very long time. And just like popular American music or pop music, rock music, there's so many sub-genres and and so many um, different composers, different things that were happening in history that made one... um, one type of opera sound different than another type of opera. So you might go see one opera and go, "Oh, I hate opera," right? right. That doesn't mean you hate opera. Do you hate music because you don't like a specific band? No,
0: right. or maybe do you, hate you don't TV like that composer. You say one bad TV show, or
1: right, right, exactly. Yeah. So we get a lot of misconceptions about opera because uh, it just has a kind of bad rap or a mm-hmm. rap that it is one specific thing when it's truly not. It's a robust and beautiful. Uh, like amazing art form and I also okay I'm talking too much no you're not that's what you're here for (laughs) it came from it was in a time where like when we talk about grand opera yep that was a time when it was putting together all the best artists minds okay right so people who were doing brilliant set design, brilliant costumes everything was cutting edge it was every artistic facet was represented there and it was all brilliant minds coming together to do really cutting-edge, amazing art. And that's one of my favorite things about mm. opera. We've got musicians, conductors, singers who are also musicians, but singers specifically. Then all the artisans who are doing all the backstage stuff, but costume right. design, set design, lighting design, sound design now. We have to have so many artists involved in making something. And isn't that cool?
0: It's super cool. Like,
1: yeah. Love it. Okay. That is Next awesome.
0: Well, No, that's so cool. And it made me think of uh, – so there was – I forget the movie, and I tried to find it online today, and I couldn't. But when I was younger, there was a movie that uh, my dad must have owned the VCR VHS tape for because I watched it a million times. And it was it was like a, a kind of a, a comedy, but it was also like a, a whodunit. And it was based around – I think it's called the Mikado. Is that an yep. opera? Okay. And I remember it's an
1: operetta.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's an operetta. Okay. Well, yep. I got to be careful then with this one because I don't want to overstate <laughs> it. But I just remember thinking even as a young kid, like that, that's interesting. Like, what is that? Like, that's different. That's not a play. That's not a movie. Um, and, you know, and then later on in life, I actually got a chance to see it. And it's really, uh, it's an impressive art form in general. And it's like any other art form. You have to kind of, understand aspects of it i think to appreciate it or what they're doing so um, sure
1: like to... um yeah mikado is a gilbert and sullivan operetta okay. right? um they're they're usually lighter more fun um gilbert and sullivan's kind of a whole subgenre. It's like oh i love 1970s progressive rock right okay, okay. cool it's, you know, like you, it's a subgenre. some people get really into it i love performing it it's super fun um Strauss, Offenbach, um, GNS—those are all kind of major operetta composers. And sometimes the operettas will have spoken dialogue, so you're like, "Oh, Sarah Nicole, earlier you said that meant it was a musical theater piece, but this was pre-musical theater being a, an art form."
0: Aha! Wait, See, we, so are learning, we are learning. We are learning on the No Outlet Podcast. Operetta—I appreciate that. <laughs> I did not know any of this. All right. So, yeah. and if I, if I'm wrong here, correct me. But I understand that you are a Uh, mezzo-soprano, is that correct?
1: Yeah, mezzo means middle in Italian. Okay. So I'm like, I'm not, don't sing high, don't sing super low, I'm just in the middle there. Okay. So there's a kind of general thing people say where mezzos play witches, bitches, and britches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Say that one more time for me.
1: I I don't know if... Judo profanity is allowed in the podcast. No, it's all allowed,
0: yes, but I just missed
1: it, yeah. Witches, bitches, and britches. Okay. So any witch, anybody who's a little bitchy, right, or uh, pants rolls. So mechas oftentimes would play young men. Um, You have a higher voice. uh, A lot of mota operas, um, handle operas. You have pants rolls or trouser rolls.
0: That's interesting. So how many different levels of, you know, so – I'm assuming that there's might be like an is there an alto soprano is that something soprano?
1: Oh sure, so um, an alto oh, for okay, ooh. So for opera we have soprano, yep, mezzo, and then we have contralto, which we shortened to you know, that would be shortened to alto. And then okay. for men, we would do uh, tenor, uh, baritone, bass, baritone, bass. So kind of have four versus our three. And then there's a ton of sub genres or sub not genres sub categories we call that fock the German word it kind of delineates what you sing based on where your voice sits, color of the voice, et cetera
0: so really, the roles you can that the roles that best suit you in opera are going to really be dictated largely by what your voice is able to do correct, yeah,
1: so if you are singing. If, and where your voice feels the best, where your voice likes to sit the most, where your voice can sustain,
2: mm-hmm. where
1: it pings the most over an orchestra, and just the general color. Um, when I say that, it's when you hear a voice, sometimes we, it's kind of a weirdly um, hooey way to, I guess, describe it, because it's it's very personal, but you can hear some people and go, oh, their color reminds me of. Warm chocolate or oh, okay um, their color reminds me of autumn leaves, or they have a silvery color to their voice, right and you, if you start listening to people speaking voices, you might be able to pick out kind of the color of it, what it reminds you of, or oh, what does that sound make you feel like yeah
0: I like that I like that a lot yeah. um, so with that in mind, have, has there been like different state I'm imagining if you start singing opera early, right you might you might go through. Different stages of being different types of of voices, like because I mean, your everybody's oh, voice sure. naturally changes, right? And so you could be a mezzo at one point, but then maybe become something else. Is that true?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, people can. Mm, I, I think that for opera and a lot of the music, you need to have you need to be older to sing some of it. Your mm-hmm. voice develops over time, and we really don't like or generally we don't like to start start real operatic training, like singing real opera rep until the voice is a little older. So you kind of want to be in college before you start singing some of that stuff. Oh, I
2: see. Um,
1: you can, you can actually damage your voice, damage your vocal cords by singing rep. That's too big when you're too young. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of bad habits you can get. Um, so usually you'll find a teacher or a school that's very sensitive to that. And they can usually hear, Or generally, here, sometimes where your voice is going to go. So you might start with some light rep Mm -hmm. or sopranos start with, um, they might start as a soubrette and they'll work their way more into a lyric and then into a dramatic voice later in their life. So they might stay the same voice type, but change what type of that voice
0: type they are. That's so interesting. That makes sense. My simplistic sports minded brain instantly just thinks of like the little league kid who's taught to throw a curveball a little bit too early and ends Mm -hmm. up getting Tommy John surgery when he's, you know, 17. That's
1: exactly that's exactly it. So when I see the videos of like young kids singing huge opera arias and everybody's going, oh, wow, this is. They're a genius, and this is amazing. I am always cringing and nervous and uncomfortable for that person. Anybody can sing any of these opera arias by learning it from a YouTube video or from learning it on their piano if they're, you know, piano proficient. You can sing any of this. Should
2: you?
0: Right.
1: I mean, should I go try to do – like, should I try to do the splits right now? (laughs) Probably not. I think my body could do it if I force it, right?
0: Right it's all about measuring measuring it out (laughs) all right so speaking of taking care of your, your voice like is there just like any other um you know person that's using a part of their body as what they do do you have to like are there certain mouth gargles are there exercises like do you train your voice every day and do stuff to like protect it
1: yeah oh tons yeah a lot, a lot of things, yeah. and people have their own routines. I think just like a, you, you've got to think of an opera singer as an athlete. It's just all of our stuff is internal muscles, right?
2: right?
1: So we're using um, a different, we're using all of our intercostal muscles to do, um, you know, making sure that we're being able to expand our rib cage fully so we can get a full breath. Just the same things, right? So it's just a lot of inside stuff, and yeah. vo- Vocal apparatus stuff as well.
0: Sure. Um so I'll yes. oh, go ahead, sorry.
1: No, so you're asking specifically though about like what uh routines people have. Yeah. A lot of people drink tea, tea with honey, things like that. Yeah. I when I travel to sing, I always grab a local honey because allergies can really mess you up. Oh. Um uh, everybody has to watch out for the acid reflux. So people aren't going to be eating those nightshades and stuff like that when they're singing a gig because right. acid reflux can really damage your vocal cords. Um so allergies can really mess us up, all of those things. And then we'll hydrate a lot. So being very hydrated. So opera singers, will we're notorious for coming in with a huge scarf around our neck and a huge water bottle. <laughs> um, right? So yeah. we'll show up like that. Uh, and then a lot of times vocal we'll rest. If you're singing something incredibly difficult, you're going to need to rest. And oftentimes that's built into our contracts when we do a gig. That will have a day of rest before or between performances. I love as well. that.
0: That's great. Yeah, yeah. So. It's like you got to take a rest before you you do anything after you strain it, right? You let it recover. You yeah, have the recovery day. So, uh, you know, I think if you were to ask most Americans, um, hey, name the first opera singer that comes in your head, I think most people would say Luciano Pavarotti. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So,
1: I yeah, I agree. All right. I think he's probably the most famous. Opera singer of our time. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay, there you go. And and I think now was he a baritone or a bass? Oh, he was a tenor. He was a tenor, see? This is what this is how much I know about <laughs> opera. So he but tenor's like the highest, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, I just remember him having this like booming voice. But I guess you can have. A, tenor? I do well, I think so. Wasn't that him and two other guys? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, yes. I, I I do remember
0: it, but I don't remember who else was in it besides him.
1: Caras and Domingo and Pavarotti. Yeah. So um yeah. So the he he's he, you can be robust and big and have that depth of sound yeah. and still have a high voice, right? Okay. So that's something yeah. He had a very exciting sound, but he could also give you every of the high notes, all of the high notes. Yeah. Every one of those high notes, he was awesome. Yeah. Like with, uh, yeah, his. I mean, he had a, his name was like, or his title was King of the High Seas, right? Wow, he could bust out a bazillion high seas in a really impressive way.
0: So, so I, I, yeah. I I'd never, I've never, I you know, obviously he's passed away, R.I.P. Pravarati, but I, <laughs> I never got a chance to see him live. But I went and watched a couple of YouTube videos, and it really is. I mean. Even for someone who has no idea what they're looking at, it's impressive. When he opens his mouth, it's almost like someone's just turning on, like, a volume. Like, the dial of the volume is going up, and it's like, here it comes. And it's, like, yeah. perfect. And it's like, wow, that is – I mean, as much as he probably trained and took care of it, that is – he was born with a lot of that, don't, don't you think? Sure. Yeah. And,
1: you know, we, something I often hear is, oh, you this is a gift, and, like, oh, you – you know, it's so lucky to have this gift, but opera is full on a career
2: right?
1: and full on an athletic training thing. Right. You did ask earlier, do do you do exercises? And especially when you're doing a show or prepping a role, you're rehearsing every day or you're Mm -hmm. warming up every day and you're warming up before you sing any rep. Right. Right. At least 30 minutes for me personally, other people might have other, you know, routines, but 30 minutes for sure. Before I even start, singing a song i'm doing exercises right yeah. so someone like pavarotti he his training started when like uh, he was doing church choir and things like that right so he started really young yes some of this is just sheer talent some of this is the way his body is constructed right mm. he had a big old barrel chest and could give you breath support right, right, right. <laughs> and then some of this is also that he worked his took us off yep right, to get to where he was and continued working on it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, That's
2: so cool. Um,
1: yeah, I don't ever want to take away people's ah, – it's it's hard. Even – like okay, professional athlete, if we're going to use that as an example. Yeah. Yes, they have natural talent, but they have to work on it every day.
0: Right. I mean, natural right. talent it, can be squandered or it can be mm-hmm. developed just the same way, right, with everybody. And he obviously developed his – over a long time and with hard work. So, yeah, that's Yeah, cool. for
1: your listeners, go listen to Nessun Dorma if you've never listened to anything and enjoy your life because he's awesome. There you <laughs> go.
0: So he was from Italy, obviously, or I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. Right now today, what country is it? I mean, is is Italy, I'm assuming it's the country that has the largest Following of opera, but I don't know that. So my question to you is: What country has the you know the biggest percentage of that population that is into opera?
1: I'd say that it, I I can't give you I can't give you a, a real solid number on who in Europe is winning right now with that, but okay. it's definitely Europe. Um, kicking our took is again on that because in most or many parts of Europe, we have government funding for opera and that changes things a ton Right. because it makes opera accessible, affordable, and it's funded. We're not having to rely on donors and the patronage system like we do here in the U.S. I see. So, so I think I see a lot of amazing stuff coming out of Germany. Yeah. I have a lot of friends working in Germany. And I think some really cool, interesting things are happening there. I think Italy definitely has a love for opera, but they also have a love for <laughs> yeah, Italian. Right? right? So you might see more. You know, I, I don't want to. Oh, I don't want anybody to hear this and come at me. Um, I just will say this: I like a lot of the interesting theater that's coming out of German um, opera houses right now. Got it.
0: Yeah, that that sounds because like that a safe DC, statement. That was B C right? Yes, totally, <laughs> <Yeah>. totally. Um, <laughs> on that same kind of international note, so where have you had an opportunity to either uh, observe um, opera internationally and maybe even perform it internationally?
1: Sure, uh, great question. So I ha- I try to go see opera anytime I travel, wherever I am. Mm-hmm. So I have had the privilege of going to the Vienna State Opera. Mm. I've seen opera in Hungary, which was super cool in Budapest. Um, I have been to the Paris Opera House, and um, I've seen opera at ENO in England, Um, even opera in Ireland. So I try to go whenever I can. That is so Um, cool. I yeah I it's it's for me it's super important we and we also have amazing amazing opera in almost every major city and tons of small opera companies across the united states that are making great art so even if you're not in a major metropolitan area Mm -hmm. there's probably opera or somebody doing opera near you and it's probably more affordable than you think So that's my little PSA. (laughs) I want everybody to go Go see a show. A lot of times there's standing room or rush tickets. You can get them the same day as the show, oftentimes super cheap. And I just, I feel like once people go and experience it, they're going to have a different opinion about it.
0: Yeah, no. And I think there was, what's the other, uh, is, is Madam Butterfly an opera? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm that's the other one that I've seen a a while ago. And I remember being blown away by it more so than it might've been. My expectations were super low, but there's no, (laughs) there's no denying the, that the talent is it's preternatural. It's just a different type of art form to go out there and, and be theatrical to, to act, but the, but you're, and you're acting with your body, but you're also acting (laughs) with your face and your voice. And it's really, I, I'm a, Um, I'm impressed. I'll say that. I I don't know enough to to make any other comment about it other than it's super impressive. Um, What is your favorite opera to, because you've you've, you've been around the world, you've seen opera everywhere, but what's your favorite (laughs) opera to see? Like if you could pick one to have on a loop on a deserted island, what would be that opera for you to see? Uh,
1: Sure. Great question. My favorite opera is The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. It's a pretty basic answer. Um, if you answer anything by Mozart you're pretty much covered, you're set right. uh, it's an opera I've done a lot and I have two roles I can do in it so that's extra good right when it's nice. a play you can do two parts in or a show you can do two parts in <laughs> um, that's absolutely my favorite opera, the music's amazing, it's funny it's a great story it's got some farcical slapstick nonsense in it but also real human connections and it's Mozart, like you just can't go wrong. It's a fun show. It's mm-hmm. great. And the tunes, some of the songs, you, I know you've heard like Walking Through a Macy's, right? They play it on any, <laughs> you know? It's, well, it's like oh. one of those things where you're like, you'll go there, you'll sit into, you'll hear the intro or you'll hear an aria and you'll be like, oh, wait a minute, I totally know this song. You absolutely know music from this right. because it's in the collective consciousness. That's so, so funny. that would be it. You ask me my favorite aria. It's Linsky's aria from Eugene One, Onegin, which is a tenor aria. It's a Russian opera. It's so good. He's about to go fight a duel with his best friend over his woman. And, oh, it makes me cry every time I hear it, even when terrible singers sing it. I'm sorry. All singers are great. <laughs> even no matter who <laughs> sings it, it makes me cry. The music is so good. Oh, my God. And then the opera I want to do more than anything, my favorite opera to sing. Yes. Desert Island Opera is um, uh, Del Rosen Cavalier by Strauss. Okay. That has some meaty, good stuff in it. And if you are listening to this podcast and want to hear something from that, listen to the uh, presentation of the Rose duet. Okay. Everybody has homework now.
0: Yes. It's good homework. Now, <laughs> uh, going back to the uh, uh, Figaro. um mm-hmm. Again, I, I am so sorry to keep dumbing all this down, but when I was no! a kid, I loved Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny. Is that the one where Bugs Bunny is like uh, messing with Elmer Fudd the whole time and they're singing and they're he's like massaging? His- it's the one that they, they say Figaro over and over again, right? Okay, great.
1: Great question. Okay, so whew, here we go. There are some uh, librettos written by De Ponte? like Lorenzo Ponte, Okay. Um, and they're all based on this uh, uh, play, The Marriage of a Girl, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, by Beaumarchais. And again, don't come at me if I'm getting details wrong um, on the spot.
0: Everybody stay and... away from her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got three shows that are about this story. So we have The Barber of Seville, which oh, okay. is about how these main two people are courting. The marriage of Figaro is about Figaro, who was in the Barber of Seville, who helped this um, uh, Count and countess get together uh-huh. right so, so Figaro was the dude, he was like the conciliary right he like made it happen for them
2: gotcha. and
1: so that aria is basically about how he can do anything he 's the town 's like conciliary, basically, he does everything like anything you need he, he figures it out right, yep. but he 's also a barber, so he 'll also up. like yeah mm-hmm. and then uh, then we have a third um. Proper, that's uh, about what happens after, and that one is a more modern
0: version. So it's got the Rossini. divorce lawyers and the uh, the settlement agreements. And...
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a modern opera and it's super cool. But Marriage of Figaro, Mozart, Barber of Seville, Rossini, also one of my favorite operas, super great opera, and that's the one that has a Figaro, 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 Figaro. Oh, okay. figaro that makes sense. That Aria is from the Barber
0: Spell. Yes, and that makes sense because in the cartoon, uh, Bugs Bunny has got Elmer Fudd in a barber seat and he is yep. giving him a shave of, of odd variety. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. Right. Um, all right. Now, <clears throat> everything has changed a little bit with COVID. Um, some things have changed a lot. Improv has gone to Zoom and, you know, a year. And a few months ago, zoom classes for improv were the rare exception. And now they're the absolute norm. Um, now with opera, has there been a zoom opera?
1: Yes. Ooh, uh, very cool. Creators are going to create, right? That's right. <laughs> we're we're going to figure this out because basically when COVID happened, we were all told we were super spreaders and we didn't get to sing with people. Right. That's right. Because we put people in danger so choir and choral singing and opera choruses and all of that impossible so yes there have a lot of different companies have done zoom operas in a lot of different ways some people have had the artists record themselves separately
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, some people have done very crazy interesting mixing things with audio engineers I saw one, and I can't remember the company, so I apologize. This company they used the Unreal Engine, video game engine, okay. to create like uh, the universe around the singer's video, which oh, was wow. a super neat thing. I just saw um, San Diego State University just did uh, some Zoom operas as a um, as part of their curriculum right the students got to still perform and the students recorded themselves The it was mixed but they didn't uh, lip sync Mm -hmm. it was like a beautiful music video the entire thing so they did a lot of symbolism a lot of really cool shots to talk about what was actually happening right so that format was super cool so it forced us to be really creative Uh yeah (laughs) Um, and which is neat in some ways however opera is an art form about singing over an orchestra right? and singing with groups of people. So uh, companies like San Diego opera, who I work with frequently, they were the first company in the United States to do a drive-in opera. Oh, and they fun. did it with full, yeah, full COVID protocol. They kept the singers apart. They had plex glass. Um, the singers had to stay, I think 16 feet away from each other. Visors and masks backstage. The orchestra was away and also separated, but they still made live music. It was in the sports arena, parking lot had big jumbo screens, so you could pull up your car, you could still see the stage, but you could see close ups with video on the on the screen. Auto engineers mixed it live, and so it was piped into your car just like you were going to the movies, and had a full pre show talk, food trucks, so cool. And now a bunch of other opera companies have started to use this model, which seems to be working better right now. Yeah. Um, So that's something cool that a lot of places are doing. I know San Francisco Opera, I just went up there to see that. um, And it was brilliantly done up there as well. I know other companies are doing other models like drive through opera. Yeah. Where you drive through a parking lot and experience things. So uh, it's really something where... I think opera is best live. You yep. can experience that singing with the orchestra. Um, but all of it has been really interesting and exciting to see what people are doing to keep our art moving forward, even during this wild time.
0: Yeah, it's so cool. It's like, you know, when a, a tree is growing and all of a sudden there might be something in the path of a branch or the major limb, it will just grow around that Mm -hmm. you know it's like and and art is uh and creation and what you said was creators going to create and that and that's and that's so true it doesn't matter you know if it's covid or if it's the threat of censorship or what it is people that have that inside them it's impossible to just turn it off and uh, right one way or the other it's going to happen that's so cool um all right so Let's switch gears a little bit and find out something um, a little bit more contemporary. What (laughs) is your favorite TV show right now? It doesn't have to be like the funniest or the newest. It could be something that you're watching from 20 years ago. But what TV show has got you kind of locked in at the present moment?
1: I'm obsessed with For All Mankind, which is um, on Apple TV. Okay. Okay. And uh, it is the best show I've seen in a very long time. It's an alternate history show about what would have happened if the, um, the space race had kept going. So, so it's about astronauts and NASA and what would have happened if we never stopped having uh, the space race with the Soviet Union.
0: Oh, that's so interesting.
1: It is so good. It, is not um, i I don't like gory shows anymore mm-hmm. i I can't do anything um, too violent. I'm yep. not interested in any of that, and this one is really about human relationships, brilliant character development, stellar acting like it's a really good show. the writing's fabulous i It's one of my favorite things that I've seen. We've been full on binging it.
0: That's so, so cool. I highly recommend it. yeah have you heard of um the Man in the High Castle
1: Yes. Uh, I haven't watched it. My husband's obsessed with it. I'm supposed to watch it. It's on my list.
0: Okay. I I, I started because it's kind of the similar alternate, you know, uh, historical outcome, uh, but with even a stranger twist to it, um, where obviously World War II ends up in a different way. And, and I started watching the first season. It's very well done, but it's like you really got to pay attention. And um mm-hmm. I just I, – I put it on pause for now, but it's – I love that. I love history um, in general. I love reading nonfiction, historical books. And so any idea that like takes something to happen and say, well, what if it happened like this? Because it certainly could have happened the other way. Like it wasn't that far away from happening the other right. way. Right. Um, And just kind of looking at it like, well, here's the way it would have gone is such an interesting way to approach any subject. It doesn't matter what it is. It's
1: super fun. And this one's really grounded in realism, even though, of course, it's going to it's getting a little sci fi. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course it is. But it's so grounded in realism that you which is my favorite kind of science fiction anyway. Yeah. yeah. So you you really feel like, oh, my gosh, this could have happened. And because they're grounding it in these real human relationships that they're allowing to develop over the series in a really brilliant way. Yep. It, it's really good. Really like it.
0: So do you think as a parent, I'm a parent as well. My kids are older. They're 23 and 26. Um, but do you think that uh, being a parent uh, today is uh, easier or more difficult than it was when we were growing up?
1: I have a lot of memories of being like, in a stranger things kind of environment where I was out on my bike gallivanting around the neighborhood mm-hmm. with no you know, worries or cares.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so I, in some ways, I think it has to be harder now. I think it's maybe more that we have more information, so we're all more anxiety-ridden and paranoid. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so that might make it harder. I I feel like I feel like my mom. You know, I would I would just go out for the whole day and go play in a creek and you know ride my bike around like I was king of the world and yeah. then come home. So yeah. I don't know. I know it's a tough I guess, one. Yeah, I, you know, I I'm, guess
0: harder I, now. Is harder is my now. answer. Yeah, and I've yeah. asked everyone with kids that's, that's been on the show. I asked that same question too, and it's pretty much universal. But there have been a couple answers that were like, you know, I guess ultimately now, but they were dangers back then and we just didn't know about them. It's, you know, it's like not knowing what could happen um, reduces some of the stress. But, you know, at the same time, I think for me, and I, I lucked out because my kids, you know, they're, they're a little bit older, so they weren't in... Hyperspeed with technology. In other words, now, mm-hmm. you know, before when, when I was growing up, it's like our parents were able to, to command and control all communication. Like if you didn't have the phone, you couldn't communicate. End of story that that was it. And right, right? there. And there was no other alternative method of communication. Now there are so many different ways to communicate through the wire uh, and you know, through any device that you might have that the kids are always ahead of the parents, like the kids know about the apps to use way before parents do. And so so that speed of information, it's like the most intricate and efficient note passing system ever created. And that is that would be challenging to deal with. But I think ultimately, it has to be considered more difficult now.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Cr- that's a crazy thing this year. My kids go to uh, Waldorf school, so it's no oh, screens.
0: Oh, my kids did too. That's so cool.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're supposed to have no screens, and then we have a global pandemic, and we have to homeschool on Zoom, <laughs> right? So,
0: <laughs> right.
1: Then they have to be computer savvy, and oh, they are so tricky with those screens. Uh-huh. I have to block sites. I have to, right? I, and I have great kids. They're wonderful kids. I have to have it on lockdown and I have her computer set. So it turns off at a certain time every day. Right. We have to just be vigilant. Yeah. And it's, it's not her being a bad kid. It's her exploring her world, which is what we want. That's right. But then we have to protect them. So it's, it's tricky.
0: Yeah. No, totally. Um, mm-hmm. on that same note, Facebook, are you a Facebook person?
1: So I think Facebook. Ooh, so my, now day job my covid day job <laughs> is working for a digital marketing and advertising agency oh cool and a lot of our uh clients use facebook as a tool yep. right? for digital marketing and for that and for that business it's a great it's a great thing yep. for me personally what do i use it for i use it to let a certain audience know when I have shows mm-hmm. and I will use it cause I want to read Buzzfeed quizzes. Right. <laughs> um, <that's> about- <laughs> there we go. Right. Yep. We've got it. Um, there's some forums or groups on there that are groups that have existed for a long time and so have a lot of people so have a lot of knowledge. And I don't think they could be reproduced in the same fashion on another platform. Yep. Right. You would, you would lose a lot of those people. So those are valuable to me, um, but do I go on every day? No. Yeah. Do I, if it goes away tomorrow, will I be super upset personally? No.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like
1: Instagram because I like the pictures, but even that's getting wild. So
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's like anything else, right? It's like if you use it for what's going to help you, you know, advance the things that you like and that are you know beneficial and positive, then you can make it that. If you kind of get sucked into every single aspect of it. Um, it can be a tremendous time waster, but, uh, but you can, right. you know, you don't have to let that happen. Um, what's the largest crowd that you've ever performed in front of?
1: I think that has to be, well, I've sung national anthems at ball games before. So those are pretty big fun. Um, yeah. all kind of, you get reverb. I don't know if you, okay. So everybody be kind when the, singer at the national anthem is maybe struggling because you get reverb oh. it's very strange you have crowd sound too yep. so you can't hear yourself really well sometimes really strange weird weird situation yeah. but um so that and then i when i was very young when i was in college i did i went to this estonian choral festival that's very famous where choirs from all over uh, europe and we were a U.S. choir, obviously, but all over the world come and they sing together. I think it turns into like a lot of people who sing there. I'm going I feel like I should Google it and tell you the exact number, um, but it, it's crazy big. Uh, and I remember looking out at that many people and going, just, "Wow!" The same experience at a ball game. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think those are probably similar. Those are cool. Usually, the opera houses aren't that big, right? <laughs> We don't we don't want it that big. You have to sing to fill it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you got a crowd and they're expecting you to sing, then all of a sudden it's it's a it's a real thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so just thinking about being at a ball game with the national anthem, I, I was lucky enough to, I think it was two thousand four. I was uh, working for a company that was a sponsor at Fenway Park, and we got a chance to go down onto. Uh, the field home plate before the game and i don't know why they had it set up this way but there was four of us from the company and then there was chris berman from espn and then huey lewis and the news were singing the national anthem for some reason they were and um and i remember thinking oh this is the microphones are all messed up like they were having a hard time singing it and making it sound good and they were getting frustrated but then I took the opportunity when it was done, because then there was like 37,000 people still cheering for Huey Lewis in the news because, hey, you want a new drug. I mean, he's, he's, he's the, the voice of the 80s. And I took that opportunity to, to give them all a high five, and then I did a break dance routine in front of 35,000 people at Family Park. And that was worth every moment of it. because I got And I'm not a good break dancer at all. But... Just that probably the, made it better. Well, honestly, just, yeah. Well, that was it. I just I was putting an effort, in and then people just happened to be paying attention to that one part of the field. So I was like, I'm never going to get this chance again. Yeah. And uh, right. so I took advantage. All right. So we are down to the final two questions, and the second to last question is, what is up next for you in terms of opera? Do you have to kind of still wait? for this to totally clear up? Are you practicing? Are you, is there something on the horizon that you're looking into? Like what's next?
1: So I've had a couple of opportunities to perform a San Diego opera, um, which has been great. So I did one of those drive-in concerts. They had a, one amazing night. And then at Mm Christmas time, they did Christmas carols in a parking lot on a, like a rock stage. Yep. So that was super cool. We did that. Um, my next gig is singing Flora in La Traviata right now. It's scheduled for October. It's, um, with a new company in San Diego that's starting up that's women led and women run. That's cool. super cool. Um, and then I have a couple of other things that I'm just waiting for contracts to get signed. So fingers crossed for me, listeners, everybody. Nice. Um, so that will happen later in the year. So closer to December. So it feels like things are starting to open up. It feels like things are starting to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I've done has been with, Rigid union COVID um, protocol, right? So that has been wonderful, and as long as everything you know continues with that, we're good to go. Um, So I, you know, I I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Things are starting to open up again, and I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. I'm excited also that we're going to incorporate, I hope, a lot of the technical things we've learned into the art form. You know,
0: Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Um, and then uh, a final question, uh, for all the people, and you should see there's a, the Packhouse house live studio audience. <laughs> They're going crazy here. And one of them, we better added, break this one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe one <laughs> of them passed me a note. Um, so for oh. the people here and the people that are listening at home, how can people find out more about you? Do you have a website? Do you have like a, a page where they can see some of your work? Like what's the best way yeah. for people to learn more about Sarah Nicole?
1: I have all the things. So I have a uh, website. It's snrcarter.com. Um, so snrcarter.com. Mm-hmm. My married last name is Carter. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. My at is mobcapmetso. Mob like the mafia. M O B C A P M E Z Z O. Mob Cap Mezzo so mm-hmm. i play a lot of maids unfortunately so they always put me in that little hat with a ruffle on it okay. you know it looks like a little sack with a little ruffle on it <laughs> yes um so that's called a mob cap okay. the technical term. so i'm mob cap mezzo Ugh, that hat if you want to see humorous photos of me in that hat in a million different shows please go to my instagram for that um <laughs> And then I do sing mostly with right now with San Diego opera. I'm in their core opera chorus, which is uh, an amazing uh, union chorus of all incredibly gifted solo singers who um, happen to sing there. So that um, we're going to have a new season next year. I think things aren't completely finalized on what is coming up, but check out that website for more. And I think I'm on there under, we have some, like core chorus profiles on there. So you might find me on
0: there too. Very cool. Well, yeah. um, thank you so much for, for taking time out. I learned more about opera than I knew there was information out there. I feel like I'm a smarter person now than I was 45 minutes ago. So thank you for that. Yay. And um, I highly encourage everybody to go check out uh, Sarah Nicole's website or Instagram page. Um and hopefully you and I will be crossing improv paths again. I know we're both in a class, and maybe we can uh, do some more practicing later on. Thank you again for, for always uh, being there for the, for the organization of the practice nights. It was great. It was I, my favorite. And I apologize for saying your name wrong up front. I didn't add the Carter, so I'm going to say it right fully. Sarah, oh. Nicole, Ruddy, <laughs> Carter, thank you for being right. on the No Outlet podcast.
1: <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Have a great night.
2: Thanks.
0: Bye.